Sullivan testing the Portuguese. You know, I like to be fit and healthy, so the best way I know is to just get out there and run. Running was an outlet for me to, I guess, feel good about myself and, and take out some of the angers that were going on in my life. Sonny O'Sullivan is going to take the world title back to Ireland. One of the keys to, like, maintaining your brain mass is pushing past that comfortable zone physically, you know, exercise-wise. Imagine you know, a world where everybody could go out the door and engage in the kind of exercise that's going to make them more relaxed, more healthy, burn off stress. Well, it's been a tumultuous week here in the UK with the tragic killing of Sarah Everard, forcing a widespread discussion as to how unsafe women feel on our streets. And for years, this has been presented as a women's problem, i.e. protecting themselves from men. It feels like a change is coming and there's zero, there was zero doubt in my mind this week when Sonia suggested doing an episode about women running alone and safety that this is what we need to discuss. As always, we'll get to your questions later in the show, our book of the month, a review of our biggest event to date last Sunday and a look forward to tomorrow's St. Patrick's Day 5K in aid of our chosen charity partner, Jigsaw.ie. Sonia, how are you? I'm good. Yeah, great to be through the weekend again and on to a new week of running. Well, this is a, this is a brilliant suggestion that you made last night. I mean, I, 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 we obviously have a list of topics that we wanted to get to, but this is really pressing now because to me, it's it's no longer enough for men to say, oh, I didn't realize that women felt this intimidation on the streets every day. I just don't think that cuts it anymore. We need to raise boys to know that this is the impact of your presence. And obviously, as a runner, the extension to us as runners, as men who are running, how we can change our behaviour to make the place more accommodating. But that's for later on in the discussion. Maybe you can kick things off here, Sonia, as to why you why the idea occurred to you to do this. Well, I think, you know, I suppose as women, we often, you know, we're we're very, I think, instinctive and aware of our surroundings, you know, particularly, you know, early in the morning or late at night when you're in the dark alone. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it's generally when you're walking or you're coming home from something. But then I often think about, you know, when women start up running, you know, a lot of them are quite fearful of running alone at nighttime particularly, are ending up in the darkness. And, you know, I can often forget this myself or not be aware of it because I tend to feel quite strong and powerful when I run. And I wouldn't feel very vulnerable out running, no matter what time of day it is. Hmm. But in some ways, I suppose I feel that way because I feel like I can always run away, Hmm. you know, and... I, I, I don't know. I'm out there for a purpose and a strength and I'm not aware. I'm aware of my surroundings, but I'm not really worried about any other people out there, you know, because I'm just doing what I'm out there to do. But 
you know, you do get reminded of this. And only last week, you know, particularly, I suppose, after what's been going on and what that does is it wakes people up to the discussion and to talk about, you know, what goes on that I suppose a lot of women experience but don't talk about. And we can all relate and you can kind of... um, you resonate with a lot of things that people say, you know, about when you're coming home at nighttime and, you know, you're getting your keys out and you're ready to get it in the door quickly and you're look, always looking around yourself and things like that. Mm. And, you know, it's something that w- it, I suppose it's not a regular thing for a lot of people, but everybody does resonate with it to a degree. But then I saw a girl I know in London, an Olympic marathon runner, and she mentioned on Twitter, she said she was out for a run with a friend of hers and, you know, they were running along the towpath in Richmond and then they felt, you know, a man kind of speed up to get past them because they were women and they kind of felt this was intimidating and, you know, it it wasn't comfortable to be around. Yeah. And, you know, this does happen, but I think a lot of, sometimes I think a lot could be done or the, I suppose, the feeling that everybody gets could be a lot different if there was kind of mutual respect, I think, between everybody out there running. And I experienced something similar myself on Sunday. And my sense was that if there was a simple greeting of hello or, Mm -hmm. you know, just an acknowledgement of one person going faster than the other or passing or, you know, it would make all the difference. It would. I think you're right. I, I was going to actually, like I actually said to Tina a while ago, I was like, would it be bad if we did a hello episode of the Irishman running abroad? <laughs> because I was like, who are these people who blank you on a running trail that you run every day? Like a, there's people that I pass and they just will not say hello to me. Now, when it's women, I, I get it. Like, I, I I get it because it's like what they must encounter, particularly on this particular path that I run. There's always some gobshites and oddballs on there. Like, you you know, you know who I'm talking about, Sonia, when I mention gobshites and oddballs. The, the, these dudes that are just kind of lolling around looking to cause hassle or get attention. So when a when woman doesn't say hello to me, I'm like, grand, no, no problem. But I always try and say hello. And I've often, I wanted to ask you, uh, and you've kind of answered it, is that the right thing to do in terms of, I guess, is it, ma- I don't want to say making people feel safe, but reducing the threat level that uh, uh, on the one hand, you're trying as a man not to make eye contact. But then on the other hand, you're trying to go, I'm, I'm not, I, I'm nothing to be afraid of here. Uh, you you reckon a hundred percent? Wave the hand, say hello, even if it's just good morning. Oh, a hundred percent. I mean, I think you know people generally do it when they're out walking the dog. You know, they if you see if you if you go the same route every day and you pass the same people, you you know you might start off with a nod and a smile and a then you'll say hello and good morning and you know it gradually increases, I suppose yeah. it, it increases as you go along. But it was quite funny for me yesterday when I was out running and um, I was along the coastal tracks and I had Winnie with me. So we were running along and 
I could sense there was somebody behind me, but they came there all like really fast <laughs> and there was nowhere they could have joined in. So they obviously caught up to me. And um, I just looked behind and I saw there was somebody coming. So I kind of thought, right, I'll just let them go past because they're obviously going faster. And it was a man. And but you see, one of the big problems at the moment is that most people are wearing headphones anyway. Yes. So even if you do say hello or you're trying to make some level of communication, it's kind of missed because they can't hear you or you might not be able to hear them depending on, you know, who's got the headphones in. And and that is a big thing. I think a lot of people are off in their own world and, you know, they're so tuned into what they're doing that they may not be aware, you know, that they're having any effect or, you know, I suppose, surprising anybody by coming up on them quickly like that. Mm. So um, so I let this this man go past and then I realized that he wasn't actually going that fast at all. So he either was running really fast to catch up to me and then went in front of me and slowed down. And I was just getting out of the way because of the Winnie. I was afraid she was going to trip him up or something. Mm. And then I actually found myself, I had to go past again. <laughs> Which, you know, then you're kind of, it becomes a bit competitive then. And I suppose that's where things are slightly different for me is that, you know, I suppose I rise to the challenge sometimes and realize that, you know, th this, I, I suppose I'm never afraid of anybody, but it's kind of, it does become competitive and then you kind of impose your strength on somebody else, yeah, not because you're having a race with them, but because uh, you feel like, I mean, it happens more on the bike than anything else. I mean, I will often on the bike path have men pass me on the bike. And then as soon as they go past me, I just get straight on the back wheel. Because to me, it's a wake up call. And, you know, maybe that's a similar thing for some men when they're out there and they see someone in front of them. Hmm. And it could be a man or a woman. And they just think, oh, I'll see if I can catch up to this person. <laughs> yeah. And then they do. But it's a big effort to catch up. And so I think, I think you have to always assess the situation and not automatically assume that, you know, everybody is out there trying to challenge you or to yeah, put you down. I, but for, I feel like I feel know, like that this is like you hinted at at the start there that this is this is one side of things like uh, and that's probably, you know, club runner level issues right there that like and also Olympian level as well that you don't feel intimidated when you're running. If anything, you're like, well, if anybody tries anything, I can outrun them. And that's an incredible place of power to be. But like I said to you before we picked up the, the call that uh, one, it has to be one of the reasons why women are reluctant to take up running because they are in a vulnerable state in that they're miles from home, exhausted, don't have that sprinting pace uh, accessible in the beginning. Like, Jesus, when you start out, uh, like there are times when I f would find myself far from home and I'd be like, I, I might call an Uber. <laughs> this is so uh, <laughs> like I, I, I'm not being flippant here. And I guess that that is a consideration. And it's probably why m more women are feeling safer to take it up is because that they have an Apple Watch from which they can call uh, an Uber. Have you discussed uh, or do you take on board what I'm saying there that like your position isn't what a lot of our listeners would be, which is that they aren't too concerned about 
men overtaking them, they're concerned about men jumping out on them. Yeah, definitely. I can see, you know, why people would be concerned about that. But I think we're also, you know, the discussion has been heightened because of, you know, what's happened and the extreme level of, you know, a woman being attacked and killed is like the most extreme you can get to. And, you know, I suppose then everybody just gets a little bit more nervous. Mm. But it's not like this is not something that happens every day. Mm, but the intimidation is but, the intimidation. But, 100% but the intimidation is. is out there. And I think there is a lot of, I suppose, incidents out there that go unnoticed. Mm. And so then all of a sudden they become highlighted more. And it's how you weigh up, you know, you know, which of this is real and which is not real because we, you know, we all have these imaginations and we, you know, you do think about stuff. I know when I used years ago when I'd be out running and if I was out on a road by myself and a car went past, I, I used to read the number plates and try and I'd be memorizing the number plates and, you know, you'd have all these, this was before you could listen to podcasts or anything while you were running. So you couldn't be taken away to another world. Yeah. Your so mind instead your, your imagination would run wild and, you know, you might be after watching some movie or something and all of a sudden these thoughts go through your head. So I think, you know, we all have this stuff that I suppose that fear factor that sometimes something can just trigger something. But it's purely your imagination and you're mm -hmm. exaggerating the whole scenario. But for every one of those that there is, there is probably equally something real and some real threat that someone is going through. Well, and uh, it's how to... That. How to manage that. Yeah. So there's an article on the BBC Sport website that went up uh, yesterday called about reclaiming these streets and where female athletes share their experiences of training alone. And, you know, as much as anything, you know, I created a podcast a couple of years ago, kind of during Me Too, called Men Behaving Better. And it really was just about turning the dial for male behavior, just a couple of clicks to the right, just to the right direction that no matter like we we get that not all men are rapists and killers, but that all men have blind spots. All women have blind spots in their behavior, but the male blind spots can actually really impinge the freedom of others and significantly disimprove the living quality of other people around them. And if you're if it's just a matter of turning yourself on to these ideas, then you should do it as simple as that. So the reason why I bring up this article is that it uh, reading some of these accounts from these female athletes of all levels will wake you up, lads, to just how maybe don't do this, <laughs> you know, don't do this. Or, there's just examples of a couple of things there that can just improve the running experience when you when you suddenly brought home to you that not everybody is lashing along in their own world listening to Shoe Dog by Phil Knight. That there's some people who are out running out there for among the first times who are weighing up whether they'll continue doing it. Like I remember when the Jill Maher uh, abduction and killing took place in Australia, Sonia. That had to be similar to this Sarah Everard case because 
it just calls it all into question. And while you uh, you say it's rare and all the rest, it, it I don't think that a lot of the anger and the protests and the outpouring of emotion that we're seeing on this is people saying this is happening all the time. It's people saying, why should we have to put up with any level of intimidation like this and then get told, oh, sure, that's all you're in your imagination Should this, should this doesn't happen. Like when you say, talk me through this a little bit, that like for women, they're an alertness is built into you from a young age, even living in Cove. Oh, a hundred percent. Like I, well, I lived on one side of the town, and you know it was out a, quite a dark road. So if you did end up, and my mother always complains about, she said, "I hate that back road. <laughs> it's it's like a road that kind of there's a gap, I suppose, of no houses. You pass the school and a few sports fields." And even though there's lights on the road, it's a very quiet road. And for me, like I used to work in the town down in uh, down in the Rob Roy pub in Cove. And um, I'd finish work at 1130 at night. And this is when I was about 19. And, you know, Cove is a small enough town. It's not a big city. And this was in the 80s, just the early 90s. And I used to run home at night, like I'd leg it up the hill, a very steep hill. And then, you know, as soon as I hit the flat road, I would just tear out the road Hmm. because I just felt safer running. And and I always have. And I think that's I suppose it's a very powerful thing to have, to have something that I suppose takes you away, away from the fearful thoughts that can enter your head. And I think all women have these fearful thoughts. I know I've, you know, come home from the city in Melbourne and get off the train and you're walking back and you realize you've parked it in a spot where you would normally park in the daytime. But instead, you've, you know, not forgotten that you're coming back there late at night. And so the instinct is to just run. And I think you, I mean, for me, anyway, I picture, you know, exactly where I'm going to. And the keys are out and you run to the car, you get into the car, you lock the door and then you feel, then you can relax. So I think it's this kind of heightened sense of, you know, if I don't, you know, act quickly here, you know, something might happen. And I don't know what that something is, but it's the fear, I think, that enters Mm -hmm. into your head. And, you know, I'm sure there must, I can't imagine there's many women out there who don't have that heightened sense of awareness when they're in that position alone at nighttime. Mm. And, you know, there's, I suppose there's not, there's no real reason to feel like that, but it's just an innate sense that something might happen. And Well, I disagree. I think, I think that there is you know, a real reason to feel like that. Like, I, I, I don't, I think that sometimes there is that thing of, you know, when you're a kid, you go, well, what am I afraid of the dark for? I mean, there's no monster under my bed. But like uh, the the case of Sarah Everard is the one that makes people go. Well, we were right to be afraid. This girl took every precaution. And I think that that's some of what's triggering for for people that like I think that would you agree that sometimes you tell yourself, 
oh, that that's that was silly of me. But then it's the one time that you aren't careful that something does happen. Yeah, I mean, that's what I, my sense is that, you know, once you safely home, then you kind of you forget about it very quickly. Mm. But it was such a. You know, it was such a powerful like thing that was taking you over mm. in that moment that, you know, it, it's amazing how it can the fear just enters you and it makes you react, I think, physically and mentally. And then you get home and you can you do forget it quite quickly and you put it aside. And maybe that's the problem is that when you get home, you don't actually mention it to anybody because it's nearly like. I'm not going to admit to anyone that I was scared of the dark. And so we all have to deal with it internally. And then when, you know, something, you know, as tragic as what happened with Sarah Everett last week happens, all of a sudden everybody thinks, wow, so that's why we get scared, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's, I, that is the reality of it. And that's when then for 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 a short amount of time, we all get extra careful again and then you kind of gradually ease off a little bit and you know things become normal again I suppose Well I, I think that it's on us though as men though like this this is what I was saying at the top that like you're referring to this as a women's problem and you guys feeling like oh uh, this is between us I mean this is something we don't talk to anybody about I think that just the the problem here is men's behaviour, like, and uh, some of the obliviousness that I'm talking about. That, that sure I didn't know that that was intimidating. Uh, well, wake the fuck up and recognise that it is. I mean, that are, that one article that I, I pointed out in the BBC website there, reclaiming the streets, and the BBC Sport website. It has that uh, account from that. Is it uh, Mara Yamauchi? Is that the Olympic marathon runner you were talking about? That's exactly who I was talking about, Mara, yes. Yeah, so so she, you know, it's only when I read her account of this that, like, I would say this to the all the men in this Irishman running abroad group to just take this on board, that she says, I'll be out training and... Uh, and ahead of me, there'll be a man running a bit slower than me and I'll catch him up. And when I draw level, he won't let me go past. He'll latch on my shoulder and then run right behind me for several minutes. Usually I speed up to try and drop him every time this happens. Uh, I think, is this man being competitive? Is he going to assault me? Should I stop and confront him? This has happened to me a few times. And it happened to me on Thursday when I was running with a female friend. And that's the thing that you were referencing. Now, this is the this is the activity that we're engaged in. And like you say, I think that you hit the nail on the head with this is the, the biggest part of this that lads have to get into their heads as runners. Now, there's separate, there's a whole nother world of male behavior outside of running, but that's our... That, they, that men need to adjust. But in terms of your running, lads, if you take nothing away from this episode, Sonia, you tell me if this is right. Be conscious of that, that if a female runner passes you, do not fucking try to keep up, catch her up or pass her out. Just be conscious that she doesn't understand or know what your intentions are in that situation. Well, that's where I think the, the piece of communication is important as well. So if somebody 
if you catch, like if I catch up to somebody when I'm running, I will always look across and say hello or good morning or whatever time of day it is. Gotcha. And I think that's, that's the key there, I think, is the acknowledgement of one passing the other. And then if one wants to maybe try and keep up, then there's the opportunity to say, oh, how far are you going? How fast are you going? You know, just <laughs> yeah. have a little bit of interaction yeah. there. Mm. <laughs> and I think that can break the ice a little bit. And then you also get a, a sense of the person, you know, mm. and what they're trying to do. Yeah, I have to say, because um, I've, I've that, never said, how are you getting on when I when I when I go by? Because I didn't want to startle them because obviously the headbuds are in as well. There's that. Yeah. I, maybe the wave is the way to go if the buds are in. But like this is, uh -huh. you know, we are talking about community building here. Like this is a shift that like we're creating etiquette, essentially, to uh, allow people yeah. to move through the world in a way that isn't intimidating. And if we could all agree, even just as our running group, that this is how you will overtake people in the future, I think that we'll have done something positive today. Yeah, I mean, uh, we spoke about this before, you know, when the footpaths were crowded and people were getting in each other's way. Yes. But, you know, this now we're talking about times when there's not so many people out there. And, and sometimes you can come upon somebody and you can really surprise them. Like I know I've been running around Bushy Park in London and there's certain parts of the park are pretty quiet and there might be a person up there walking their dog. And if you run up behind them, you can come quite quickly and quite silently as well mm -hmm. and if you're not thinking properly or thinking ahead i've seen this happen because i've done it not on purpose but you know you do it and then it reminds you to cough or to make some noise when you're coming up to somebody because you know you get that feel you see that feeling when someone kind of jumps out of their skin a bit <laughs> yeah i drag my heels you know, i do that little bit of a shuffle with my feet to make them aware of the sound that's coming yeah so i mean i would often you know if i see somebody up ahead you'll have a bit of a cough yeah, or something don't, like, or a cough is bad now that's nearly more terrifying <laughs> people are like big, big loud cough behind you <laughs> but at least it gives them a chance to turn around Sonia you're the you're the problem here <laughs> you're part of the problem as well coughing on the necks of everybody as you go by them <laughs> no, all right we're not allowed to cough this is <laughs> Um, I used to do a sniffle though myself and I had to stop myself the other day from doing the sniffle because you know, your nose is running. Uh, but yeah, there is a way. There's, I don't know, uh, next to installing a bell well, you on, can be, on your you hand. You can be a bit like the Americans, you know. If you're like the Americans, you say on your right or on your left, oh, whichever way you're coming. That is what they do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, uh, I think oh, it's a discussion. very aggressively. <laughs> yeah, yeah, theirs is a little, it's a little like, military. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, uh, you know, we'll have to come back to the discussion again, because I think that, you know, there is I, I had uh, some guests on uh, Men Behaving Better, which is, again, a podcast that you can go back and listen to. It's available free everywhere. And then there's the full season of it uh, uh, over on Patreon.com forward slash Irishman Abroad. And we have people like uh, Laura Whitmore on uh, Roisin Conaty and others talking about uh, microaggressions uh, and just how it is possible to change these things that, you know, society does move 
change and shift. And uh, if you want proof of that, you just need to go through Netflix and watch some of the movies that we thought were funny in 1994 and now we see as wholly unacceptable. And that, you know, rightly so. Some some of the things that were regarded as funny and acceptable back then have changed and not a moment too soon. Incredible movie recommendation actually for this week is Moxie on Netflix on this very subject about changing male behaviour to be a bit more accommodating and understanding of women. But that's that's for another another day, Sonia. We'll definitely come back to this. I think we do need to talk about the... Irishman Running Abroad, Mother's Day 10K, the event that you designed that really took off. We had over 100 runners taking part. And I'm just looking here today, Sonia, at the number of donations that came into my idonate.ie page. Uh, Ed McQuillan, Brian O'Neill, Jennifer Jones, Leo Mulrooney, Paul Brennan, Margarito Gorman, Killian Whelan, Ronan, Ronan Johns or Rojo, Anna Fortune, Margaret Scott, Eileen Gomez and Gibraltar. Throw, kick, all kicking in money for Jigsaw.ie, our chosen charity partner. Wasn't it just fantastic to see so much interaction and support on the Strava group for this, Sonia? It was fantastic, you know, to see people looking forward to getting out there and doing their 10K, getting out there early to do it, to make sure they got it done when they were had a busy weekend. Mm. And, you know, it was it was brilliant. And I know the feeling like when you're out there running and you know there's other people, you know, doing something similar to you. It yes. does give a lift to your run and it it gives that extra bit of purpose to what you're doing. And I felt it myself on Sunday and I think particularly because I knew I was linking in with my daughter Sophie in Seattle. Shout out um, to Sophie. She was going to, <laughs> even though, you know, it wasn't Mother's Day in Australia or America, <laughs> but we both joined forces for the, the Irish Mother's Day. And um, I was first up and did my, I, we actually ran 10 miles because she told me she had to run 10 miles. So I said, I'll match you. And uh, I think I got down onto the beach and I had 16.15 and sent her a message and she, she matched it the next day. Oh, fair play to her. Debbie so, Carrigy uh, kicked in 50 euros here. I'm just looking at some of the ones that stand out. There's a there's a few 50s that went in from Shelley Horan. Thank you so much, Shelley. Uh, Elaine DeCourcy, who we know is a big uh, listener there. Sinead Tyne and Darren O'Connor. Catherine Bruton. Winnie Ryan. Uh, Podrick McColgan. I mean, Ian O'Brien. Shout out Ian O'Brien. And Seamus McAteer, of course, as always always there you you stuck in the St. Patrick's Day 5k as a kind of recovery event but I think that's a brilliant one for a bit of crack Sonia I think we need to get people to post their pictures of them in their all green kit I'm definitely going to green it up for that one on uh, Wednesday should I be resting between Sunday and Wednesday what would be your recommendation for people if they've done like a full effort 10 on the Sunday well, I think if it's been a hard effort, 10 kilometer, I would take it easy on Monday for sure. Hmm. You could nearly have a day off on Monday. And then Tuesday would be a very light run. And then with Wednesday being the 5K for St. Patrick's Day, yeah, we'll have to pick out the outfit. I haven't picked out my outfit yet. I'm sure I'll find something green in my wardrobe. <laughs> <laughs> well, you must have a lot of classic old Irish tracksuits in there from the Olympics and the World Championship. You, tell me you've held on to all this gear. Um, I do have them, but I don't carry them around with me. So they're not with me here. They'd be in some attic or box <laughs> in or under a bed. Somewhere. 
in Cove, most likely at yeah. this stage. <laughs> Not many of them made it to Australia, but I, I, I do. I'm a big fan of green anyway. I always have something green going around the place. So it'll be to choose what's where. Uh, tell me this. Are, how are, are you going back through this shoe, this shoe dog book that we have selected for our Irishman Running Abroad book club? Now, a lot of listeners are listening to it on Audible. Some of them are flicking back through it. Many of our listeners have already listened to it. Now, I said to you last week that I was finding it a bit tough going. It seemed a bit more like a business book than a running book. I think running is the through line with Phil Knight that, you know, athletics at Oregon State University was where he or is it just Oregon University that he trained Oregon, at? Oregon, yeah, University of Oregon. University of Oregon under Bill Bowerman. And that relationship really is the thread that stitches the whole thing together. Uh, I was finding it tough going. Are you like, are you finding it tough going? But I did, de- I, because I definitely felt like this week it picked up with the uh, inclusion of Prefontaine. Yeah, well, he was a bit of a character and I think he gave a lift to the whole thing. Mm. And he definitely was a bit of an iconic figure that a lot of people latched onto and still do. So a lot of their kind of old style gear would be modeled on things that were worn in the 70s and that pre-war. And, you know, he's a, he's definitely a hero in Oregon and, you know, with the original Nike and like and why was, was that? Like, I Nike. don't know this lad. Like, I, I honestly hadn't really heard of Prefontaine until a couple of months ago. Like, why is he regarded as this kind of Michael Jordan figure of uh, of athletics? Well, I think because, well, Hayward Field is the stadium in Eugene, Oregon, where the university is. And they had these wooden bleachers, as they call them, which is the seats where people sit in the stands. Mm. And... Back in the 70s, they used to fill the stadium and, you know, the crowds would be cheering and banging on the bleachers. And there was a huge atmosphere in there. But pre, as he was known, became this kind of cult figure in running who people just latched onto. And he was a everyday hero. And he used to just he, he won. He, he was very competitive and he won a lot of races out there. So he had massive support. And he went to the Olympics in 1972 and he ended up, he finished fourth, but I think it was his style of running. Like he went to the front and he really, you know, went to win the race. In the Olympics, he he didn't go to win a medal. He went to win the race. And by doing that, he ended up with no medal. Yeah. But the biggest thing about Prefontaine was that, and I don't know, I'm not sure the exact date or year, but he died at a very young age. So he'd run a race in the, Hayward Field won the race. There was a party and then he was driving home afterwards. And I, I'm pretty sure they tell the story in in the book, the shoe dog book as well. Unless I'm mixing it up, there's another book as well. The unauthorized story of Nike and the people who worked there. Mm. So I might be getting them up. But yeah, so he was driving home and he crashed his car and died. And he was very young, only 20 something maybe yeah so it was you know a tragic story as well as being this hero and so then it was always I suppose you know what could have been and you know you know it it was just related people just I suppose who were following him at the time you know were devastated and 
Yeah, on, a, on, a, just... on a side note, like I, I know that uh, there's been some accidents in Ireland on the roads over the weekend. And I do just want to say, slow the fuck down if you're in a car. Uh, just as a side note, Sonia, because like I actually know someone quite close to me that was in one this uh, a friend of a friend who was in one over the weekend. And, you know, it was mentioned in in Shoe Dog that Pre loved driving his MG super fast because that's what he was about. He was a speed guy. And it's just so dumb. Like, it's just so dumb. Like, you know, you're going to get there. You're you're the most breakable thing on the road. So just if I could say that 100%, just get in your car and chill and use that as a relaxation time. I'm definitely starting to enjoy it a lot more. If you haven't started reading it yet, it's called Shoe Dog. It's the memoir of Phil Knight, the creator of of Nike. That that whole thing you mentioned there of Pre's thing was to win the race and to go flat out, go like the clappers. That wasn't your strategy back in the day, right? Did when when did you like did you have a specific race strategy for each race or was it a case of you loved the image of you kicking around the final bend? Uh, no, it it did depend on which race. I mean, I had no problem, you know, with the pace being slow and, you know, being within, I suppose, there was always a point in a race where I knew I could win from. Mm. And you'd look around at the athletes that were close to you and you'd know who you could beat and most you could. But then sometimes, you know, if I had to run a fast time, then I had no problem you know, going with the pacemaker and maintaining the pace. But yeah, so it was different for different races. So and it depended how important the races were. And some races, there was more benefit to running fast than others. And um, sometimes early in the season, you have to practice racing as well. And I can remember going to races like running for Ireland at Europa Cup race in, I think it was in Tallinn in Estonia one time. And the competition wasn't the competition wasn't great, and the track the track wasn't great either. <laughs> it was an old track, and um, you know there was no point in me going out there and killing myself. So I just decided, right, right, I'm just going to jog around here, and then with 200 to go, I'm just going to go as fast as I can. <laughs> and I can remember doing this race, and I got to 200 meters to go, and I stopped. I started my watch. <laughs> You know, timing myself for 200 meters to see how fast I could go. So the race, you know, if you looked at the results and the time would be like 4.15 or something like that, which was relatively slow time for 1,500 meters. But I knew that I ran 28 seconds for the last 200 meters. And to me, that was the most important thing. What so, was it like, Sonia, when you were on the shoulder of these people knowing I got these people? Like, there's always that image of Eamon Coughlin, you know, shaking his fists and, you know, some people didn't like that. But like, that must have been the feeling that like when you knew you had them, that you you nearly did want to punch the air prior to even completing the race. Well, not really, because the race wasn't I mean, as much as I wanted to win the race, it wasn't the race didn't mean a whole lot to me. It was more getting something out of the race. And, you know, the, I was only focused on running that fast last 200 meters. Hmm. Nothing else. Wow. Well, you sent me uh, you sent me a, an image from a book that you were reading the other week uh, about how certain people just don't see the world uh, uh, the way uh, 
elite athletes do. What was that book uh, taken? What was that quote taken from? And do you do you have it to hand? I don't. I don't have the book because I was actually um, I can't somebody sent it to me, and actually Nick sent it to me, and someone else had sent it to him. And he thought, oh, I thought you'd like that. And but so I don't know the book. So now I have to go backtracking and find it. So we'll get back to it next well, week. I have, maybe. I have it here. Personality. Every <laughs> every family has an odd member. And if you don't know who it is, it's probably you. Uh, it's uh, I have to find out what this book is. Uh, and maybe we'll talk about that uh, next week on the show, because just your personality type and how it affects your running is is a is a big area because I know that at different points in my life I was probably a bit more hot headed. I was probably hard to focus at times, and uh, running's definitely changing my uh, ability to focus and stay on track. No pun intended. So that might be uh, that might be something. We had a couple of requests from people to talk about ultras to do uh, uh, an episode about ultras. Would be that would that be something you could talk about, Sonia? Yeah, I have a book actually about ultra running. Um, I haven't read it yet, um, but I, there's a possibility I left it in Cove as well. <laughs> there's, um, <laughs> there's always that. Yeah, I know the feeling. You're like, do I have that in this house or is that back in Ireland? Am I having a flashback to reading that book there? I, 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 but the, the, the way the, it's this guy, Abdurand Finn, and he's written a book about um, Kenyans, the way of the runner, I think it is and Japanese runners and then ultra runners. Right. So it's an easy, accessible book for people to get. But it kind of delves into the life and the the thought process of being an ultra runner, which, you know, that fascinates me, this whole ultra running thing. I'm I'm definitely not an ultra runner. (laughs) I like to know how far and how long I'm going to be out there for. (laughs) And I think at this stage of my life, two hours is about the limit. Um, I haven't been there for a while, um, but it's, it is interesting, you know, how they balance their energy. And mm. I'm sure it's very much a mental thing to do the ultra runs. Um, I know there's some people that they once they start doing that, they, you know, they love they it. They can't do but anything else. What's fascinating is the level of training that would be required for that. You know, it's one yeah, thing the doing the ultra time. events. Yeah, the amount of time needed. Yeah, the time is the thing that, you know, would probably restrict a lot of people in taking up ultra runs mm. um, because yeah, it, it can take hours. <laughs> yeah, you won't have a very understanding family or no family at all if you're going to do it. But we definitely will. We will look at that. I did want to ask as well, how do we figure out who are our top 10 finishers in Sunday's event? Am I able to look at that on Strava? Will I pull that up? Because I definitely have some some prizes here that I can dish out to people if they want them. Oh, right. Well, if you have a list of everybody who's run, then do you have that list of uh, people who've signed up? Yeah, I should is do. It all I in- set up the event. Should should be there. I'll be in touch with you if you think you were in the top 10. I'll, I'll get in touch. We've got some great Irishman abroad pins. And I also have a couple of those Steigen socks that you sent me, Sonia. I could send Ooh, a couple great. of those Ireland <laughs> socks. Those are... Those are very hard to find now. Those those socks are uh, 
are in high demand. Uh, maybe there is a socks episode in there. Maybe we need to discuss a little bit of the kind of finer details of the kit uh, in one of these weeks. But this has been a real pleasure to talk to you about this, Sonia. And best of luck to everybody heading out for St. Patrick's Day for the 5K for Jigsaw.ie. Make sure you're registered up there on strava.com forward slash clubs forward slash Irishman abroad and maybe you'll be getting one of those prizes. Maybe you'll shock the world and run your run your 5k in record time. But I will I will try but and I, send pins to as many people as I can. But I'd say we go top 10 for this week. Top 10 for the 10k. But I think for the St. Patrick's Day 5k, we should be looking for some some pictures of people, I think, dressed Definitely. up in all the finest yeah, yeah. St. Patrick's maybe, Day. Maybe we'll send them out to the person that made the, the biggest effort. So it won't just be about time. It'll be about who looked like the biggest Egypt out there running their 5K uh, for St. Patrick's Day. Tina was trying to get a parade organised on our road this week. Uh, she said, why not? Mikey said he'd go out with the green lightsaber. And... I still have a sparkly jacket that was bought to me by uh, by my good friend Chewy Chewerson. People will know Chewy Chewerson, the DJ. <laughs> he bought me this jacket, Sonia. I swear to God, it looks like a cross between something Hal Roach and Michael Jackson might wear. Uh, maybe I'll run it in it, but it's fierce, uncomfortable, actually. I'm probably tearing the armpits off myself in it. But I look forward we'll to seeing it. Heading out the door and then <laughs> exactly. throw it off. Yeah, throw it into a bush then. Uh, look forward to seeing all of your photos post them up there or on uh, Twitter I'm at Jarlath on Twitter Sonia is at Sonia Egre make sure that you're uh, you're registered though over on Strava.com our chosen charity partner is Jigsaw.ie who are doing incredible work in equipping young Irish people with the mental health skills they'll need to survive in life and just you know little mental fortitude and resilience that's some of the skills that they focus on and maybe Maybe that's something that you need for the young people in your life. Go to jigsaw.ie and use the resources there or maybe give them a shout. They've got great phone lines and webinars available right now. Hey, Sonia, that was great. Thank you so much for doing this chat. I think it's really important. And if we walk away with nothing else today, it's that all our male listeners will overtake uh, female runners differently from this day forward. It was a big weekend outside of our 10K for me as Notions 11, my stand up special, is now streaming globally for free for the first time on the RTE player. And it isn't one of those things that you'll download the RTE player and go, oh, none of the programs are there. It's me and Tommy Tiernan in the stand up section. You can watch the Tommy Tiernan show and you can watch the Jarlath Regan show. It's right next door. It's called Notions 11. And if you're looking for a bit of a laugh, it's an hour long show about family and uh, trying your best. It's on there now on the RTE player, wherever you are in the world. Brian Connolly is on production. John Marr does the extra research. Dean and Mikey really do make it all happen. They definitely got me to my PB this this weekend. And Sonia, thank you again for a great chat and happy St. Patrick's Day to you. Happy St. Patrick's Day and enjoy the 5K running green. <laughs> well, I can't wait to see these photos. Thank you.